Chapter Twenty Three of Ormond by Maria Edgeworth. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Bruce Peary. There are people who can go on very smoothly with those whose principles and characters they despise and dislike. There are people who, provided they live in company, are happy and care but little of what the company is composed but our young hero certainly was not one of these contented people he was perhaps too much in the other extreme he could not without overt words or looks of indignation endure the presence of those whose characters or principles he despised he could not even without manifest symptoms of restlessness or ennui submit long to live with mere companions he required to have friends nor could he make a friend from ordinary materials however smooth the grain or however fine the polish they might take even when the gay world at castle hermitage was new to him amused and enchanted as he was at first with that brilliant society he would not have been content or happy without his friends at vicarsdale to whom once at least in the four-and-twenty hours he found it necessary to open his heart we may then judge how happy he now felt in returning to Anneli. after the sort of moral constraint which he had endured in the company of marcus o'shane we may guess what an expansion of heart took place the family union and domestic happiness which he saw at Anneli certainly struck him at this time more forcibly from the contrast with what he had just seen at castle hermitage the effect of contrast however is but transient it is powerful as a dramatic resource but in real life it is of no permanent consequence there was here a charm which operates with as great certainty and with a power secure of increasing instead of diminishing from habit the charm of domestic politeness in the everyday manners of this mother son and daughter towards each other as well as towards their guests ormond saw and felt it irresistibly he saw the most delicate attentions combined with entire sincerity perfect ease and constant respect the result of the early habits of good breeding acting upon the feelings of genuine affection the external polish which ormond now admired was very different from that varnish which often is hastily applied to hide imperfections this polish was of the substance itself to be obtained only by long use but once acquired lasting for ever not only beautiful but serviceable preserving from the injuries of time and from the dangers of familiarity what influence the sister's charms might have to increase ormond's admiration of the brother we shall not presume to determine but certainly he liked sir herbert Hanley better than any young man he had ever seen sir herbert was some years older than ormond he was in his twenty-seventh year but at this age he had done more good in life than many men accomplished during their whole existence sir herbert's principal estates were in another part of ireland dr cambray had visited them 
the account he gave ormond of what had been done there to improve the people and to make them happy of the prosperous state of the peasantry their industry and independence their grateful not servile attachment to sir herbert anneley and his mother the veneration in which the name of anneley was held all delighted the enthusiastic ormond the name of anneley was growing wonderfully dear to him and all of a sudden the interest he felt in the details of a country gentleman's wife was amazingly increased at times when the ladies were engaged he accompanied sir herbert in visiting his estate sir herbert had never till lately resided at anneley which had within but a short time reverted to his possession in consequence of the death of the person to whom it had been let he found much that wanted improvement in the land and more in the people this estate stretched along the seashore the tenants whom he found living near the coast were an idle profligate desperate set of people who during the time of the late middle landlord had been in the habit of making their rents by nefarious practices the best of the set were merely idle fishermen whose habits of trusting to their luck incapacitated them from industry the others were illicit distillers smugglers and miscreants who lived by waifs and strays in fact by the pillage of vessels on the coast the coast was dangerous there happened frequent shipwrecks owing partly as was supposed to the false lights hung out by these people whose interest it was that vessels should be wrecked shocked at these practices sir herbert hanley had from the moment he came into possession of the estate exerted himself to put a stop to them and to punish where he could not reform the offenders the people at first pleaded a sort of tenant's right which they thought a landlord could scarcely resist they protested that they could not make the rent if they were not allowed to make it in their own way and showed beyond a doubt that sir herbert could not get half as much rent for his land in those parts if he looked too scrupulously into the means by which it was made they brought in corroboration of their arguments or assertions the example and constant practice of many as good a gentleman as any in ireland who had his rent made up for him that ways very ready and punctual there was his honour mr such a one and so on and there was sir ulic o'shane sure oh he was the man to live under he was the man that knew when to wink and when to blink and if he shut his eyes properly sure his tenants filled his fist oh sir ulic was the great man for favour and protection none like him at all he is the good landlord that will fight the way clear for his own tenants through thick and thin none dare touch them oh sir ulic's the kind gentleman that understands the law for the poor and could bring them off at every turn and show them the way through the holes in an active parliament easy as through a riddle oh and if he could but afford to be half as good as his promises sir ulic o'shane would be too good entirely now sir ulic o'shane had purchased a tract of ground adjoining to sir herbert's on this coast 
and he had bought it on the speculation that he could let it at a very high rent to these people of whose ways and means of paying it he chose to remain in ignorance all the tenants whom sir herbert banished from his estate flocked to sir ulex by the sacrifice of his own immediate interest and by great personal exertion strict justice and a generous and well-secured system of reward sir herbert already had produced a considerable change for the better in the morals and habits of the people he was employing some of his tenants on the coast in building a lighthouse for which he had a grant from parliament and he was endeavouring to establish a manufacture of sailcloth for which there was sufficient demand but almost at every step of his progress he was impeded by the effects of the bad example of his neighbours on sir ulic's estate and by the continual quarrels between the idle discarded tenants and their industrious and now prosperous successors whenever a vessel in distress was seen off the coast there was a constant struggle between the two parties who had opposite interests the one to save the other to destroy in this state of things causes of complaint perpetually occurred and ormond who was present when the accusers and the accused appealed to their landlord sometimes as lord of the manor sometimes as magistrate had frequent opportunities of seeing both sir herbert's principles and temper put to the test he liked to compare the different modes in which king corney his guardian and sir herbert annally managed these things sir herbert governed neither by threats punishments abuse nor tyranny nor yet did he govern by promises nor bribery favour and protection like sir ulic he neither cajoled nor bullied neither held it as a principle as marcus did that the people must be kept down or that the people must be deceived he treated them neither as slaves subject to his will nor as dupes or objects on which to exercise his wit or his cunning he treated them as reasonable beings and as his fellow-creatures whom he wished to improve that he might make them and himself happy he spoke sense to them and he mixed that sense with wit and humour in the proportion necessary to make it palatable to an irishman in generosity there was a resemblance between the temper of sir herbert and of corney but to ormond's surprise and at first to his disappointment sir herbert valued justice more than generosity ormond's heart on this point was often with king corney when his head was forced to be with sir herbert but by degrees head and heart came together he became practically convinced that justice is the virtue that works best for a constancy and best serves everybody's interest in time and in turn ormond now often said to himself sir herbert annally is but a few years older than i am by the time i am of his age why should not i become as useful and make as many human beings happy as he does in the meantime the idea of marrying and settling in ireland became every day more agreeable to ormond and france and italy which he had been so eager to visit faded from his imagination 
sir herbert and lady annalee who had understood from dr cambray that ormond was going to commence his grand tour immediately and who heard him make a number of preparatory inquiries when he had been first at annalee naturally turned the conversation often to the subject they had looked out maps and prints and they had taken down from their shelves the different books of travels which might be most useful to him with guides and post-road books and all that could speed the parting guest but the guest had no mind to part everything everybody at annalee he found so agreeable and so excellent it must be a great satisfaction to a young man who has a grain of sense and who feels that he is falling inevitably and desperately in love to see that all the lady's family as well as the object of his passion are exactly the people whom he should wish of all others to make his friends for life here was everything that could be desired suitability of age of fortune of character of temper of tastes everything that could make a marriage happy could ormond but win the heart of florence annalee was that heart disengaged he resolved to inquire first from his dear friend dr cambray who was much in the confidence of this family a great favorite with florence and consequently dearer than ever to ormond he went directly to vickersdale to see and consult him and ormond thought he was confiding a profound secret to the doctor when first he spoke to him of his passion for miss annalee but to his surprise the doctor told him he had seen it long ago and his wife and daughters had all discovered it even when they were first with him at annalee is it possible and what do you all think we think that you would be a perfectly happy man if you could win miss annalee and we wish you success most sincerely but but oh my dear doctor you alarm me beyond measure what by wishing you success no but by something in your look and manner and by that terrible but you think that i shall never succeed you think that her heart is engaged if that be the case tell me so at once and i will set off for france to-morrow my good sir you are always for desperate measures you are in too great a hurry to come to a conclusion before you have the means of forming a just conclusion remember i tell you this precipitate temper will some time or other bring some great evil upon you i will be patient all my life afterwards if you will only this instant tell me whether she is engaged i do not know whether miss annalee's heart be disengaged or not i can tell you only that she has had a number of brilliant offers and that she has refused them all that proves that she has not found one amongst them that she liked said ormond or that she liked some one better than all those whom she refused said dr cambray that is true that is possible that is a dreadful possibility said ormond but do you think there is any probability of that there is i am sorry to tell you my dear ormond a probability against you but i can only state the facts in general i can form no opinion for i have had no opportunity of judging i have never seen the two young people together but there is a gentleman of great merit of suitable family and fortune who is deeply in love with miss annalee and who i presume has not been refused 
for i understand he is soon to be here to be here cried ormond a man of great merit i hope he is not an agreeable man that's a vain hope said dr cambray he is a very agreeable man very agreeable what sort of person grave or gay like anybody that i ever saw yes like a person that you have seen and a person for whom i believe you have a regard like his own father your dear corney's friend general albemarle how extraordinary how unlucky said ormond i would rather my rival were any one else than the son of a man i am obliged to and a most dangerous rival he must be if he have his father's merit and his father's manners oh my dear dr cambray i am sure she likes him and yet she could not be so cheerful in his absence if she were much in love i defy her and it is impossible that he can be as much in love with her as i am else nothing could keep him from her nothing but his duty i suppose you mean duty what duty why there really are duties in this world to be performed though a man in love is apt to forget it colonel albemarle being an officer cannot quit his regiment till he has obtained leave of absence i am heartily glad of it cried ormond i will make the best use of my time before he comes but my dear doctor do you think lady annalee do you think sir herbert wish it to be i really cannot tell i know only that he is a particular friend of sir herbert and that i have heard lady annalee speak of him as being a young man of excellent character and high honour for whom she has a great regard ormond sighed heaven forgive me that sigh said he i thought i never should be brought so low as to sigh at hearing of any man's excellent character and high honour but i certainly wish colonel albemarle had never been born heaven preserve me from envy and jealousy our young hero had need to repeat this prayer the next morning at breakfast when sir herbert on opening his letters exclaimed my friend colonel albemarle and lady annalee in a tone of joy colonel albemarle i hope he will soon be here sir herbert proceeded cannot obtain leave of absence yet but lives in hopes said sir herbert reading the letter and handing it to his mother ormond did not dare did not think it honourable to make use of his eyes though there now might have been a decisive moment for observation no sound reached his ear from miss annalee's voice but lady annalee spoke freely and decidedly in praise of colonel albemarle as she read the letter sir herbert after asking ormond three times whether he was not acquainted with general albemarle obtained for answer that he really did not know in truth ormond did not know anything at that moment sir herbert surprised and imagining that ormond had not yet heard him was going to repeat his question but a look from his mother stopped him a sudden light struck lady annalee mothers are remarkably quick-sighted upon these occasions there was a silence of a few minutes which appeared to poor ormond to be a silence that would never be broken 
it was broken by some slight observation which the brother and sister made to each other upon a paragraph in the newspaper which they were reading together ormond took breath she cannot love him or she could not be thinking of a paragraph in the newspaper at this moment from this time forward ormond was in a continual state of agitation reasoning as the passions reason as ill as possible upon even the slightest circumstances that occurred from whence he might draw favourable or unfavourable omens he was resolved and that was prudent not to speak of his own sentiments till he was clear how matters stood about colonel albemarle he was determined not to expose himself to the useless mortification of a refusal while in this agony of uncertainty he went out one morning to take a solitary walk that he might reflect at leisure just as he was turning from the avenue to the path that led to the wood a car full of morning visitors appeared ormond endeavoured to avoid them but not before he had been seen a servant rode after him to beg to know if he were mr harry ormond if he were one of the ladies on the car mrs mccruel sent her compliments to him and requested he would be so good as to let her speak with him at the house as she had a few words of consequence to say mrs mccruel ormond did not immediately recollect that he had the honour of knowing any such person till the servant said miss black sir that was formerly at castle hermitage his old enemy miss black he recollected well he obeyed the lady's summons and returned to the house mrs mccruel had not altered in disposition though her objects had been changed by marriage having no longer lady o'shane's quarrels with her husband to talk about she had become the pest of the village of castle hermitage and of the neighbourhood the lady blue-mantle of the parish had miss black remained in england married or single she would only have been one of a numerous species too well known to need any description but transplanted to a new soil and a new situation she proved to be a variety of the old species with peculiarly noxious qualities which it may be useful to describe as a warning to the unwary it is unknown how much mischief the lady blue mantle class may do in ireland where parties in religion and politics run high and where it often happens that individuals of the different sects and parties actually hate without knowing each other watch without mixing with one another and consequently are prone reciprocally to believe any stories or reports however false or absurd which tend to gratify their antipathies in this situation it is scarcely possible to get the exact truth as to the words actions and intentions of the nearest neighbours who happen to be of opposite parties or persuasions what a fine field is here for a mischief-maker mrs mccruel had in her parish done her part she had gone from rich to poor from poor to rich from catholic to protestant from churchman to dissenter and from dissenter to methodist reporting every idle story and repeating every ill-natured thing that she heard said things often more bitterly expressed than thought 
and always exaggerated or distorted in the repetition no two people in the parish could have continued on speaking terms at the end of the year but that happily there were in this parish both a good clergyman and a good priest and still more happily they both agreed in laboring for the good of their parishioners dr cambray and mr mccormick made it their business continually to follow after mrs mccrule healing the wounds which she inflicted and pouring into the festering heart the balm of christian charity they were beloved and revered by their parishioners mrs mccrule was soon detected and universally avoided enraged she attacked by turns both the clergyman and the priest and when she could not separate them she found out that it was very wrong that they should agree she discovered that she was a much better protestant and a much better christian than dr cambray because she hated her catholic neighbors dr cambray had taken pains to secure the cooperation of the catholic clergyman in all his attempts to improve the lower classes of the people his village school was open to catholics as well as protestants and father mccormick having been assured that their religion would not be tampered with allowed and encouraged his flock to send their children to the same seminary mrs mccrule was or affected to be much alarmed and scandalized at seeing catholic and protestant children mixing so much together she knew that opinions were divided among some families in the neighborhood upon the propriety of this mixture and mrs mccrule thought it a fine opportunity of making herself of consequence by stirring up the matter into a party question this bright idea had occurred to her just about the time that ormond brought over little tommy from the black islands during ormond's absence upon his tour sheila and moriarty had regularly sent the boy to the village school exhorting him to mind his book and his figures that he might surprise mr ormond with his learning when he should come back tommy with this excitation and being a quick clever little fellow soon got to the head of his class and kept there and won all the school prizes and carried them home in triumph to his grandame and to his dear moriarty to be treasured up that he might show them to mr ormond at his return home dr cambray was pleased with the boy and so was everybody except mrs mccrule she often visited the school for the pleasure of finding fault and she wondered to see this little tommy who was a catholic carrying away the prizes from all the others she thought it her duty to inquire farther about him and as soon as she discovered that he came from the black islands that he lived with moriarty and that mr ormond was interested about him she said she knew there was something wrong therefore she set her face against the child and against the shameful partiality that some people showed dr cambray pursued his course without attending to her and little tommy pursued his course improving rapidly in his learning now there was in that county an excellent charitable institution for the education of children from seven to twelve years old 
an apprentice fee was given with the children when they left the school and they had several other advantages which made parents of the lower classes extremely desirous to get their sons into this establishment before they could be admitted it was necessary that they should have a certificate from their parish minister and catholic clergyman stating that they could read and write and that they were well-behaved children on a certain day every year a number of candidates were presented the certificates from the clergyman and priest of their respective parishes were much attended to by the lady patronesses and by these the choice of the candidate to be admitted was usually decided little tommy had an excellent certificate both from father mccormick and from dr cambray sheila and moriarty were in great joy and had all the hopes in life for him and sheila who was very fond of surprises had cautioned moriarty and begged the doctor not to tell mr harry a word about it till all was fixed for if the boy should not have the luck to be chose at last it would only be breaking his little heart the worse that mr harry should know anything at all about it sure meantime mrs mccrule was working against little tommy with all her might some of the lady patronesses were of opinion that it would be expedient in future to confine their bounty to the children of protestants only mrs mccrule who had been deputed by one of the absent ladies to act for her was amazingly busy visiting all the patronesses and talking and fearing and hoping to heaven and prophesying canvassing and collecting opinions and votes as for a matter of life and death she hinted that she knew that the greatest interest was making to get in this year a catholic child and there was no knowing if this went on what the consequence might be in short ireland would be ruined if little tommy should prove the successful candidate mrs mccrule did not find it difficult to stir up the prejudices and passions of several ladies whose education and whose means of information might have secured them from such contemptible influence her present business at Annalee was to try what impression she could make on Lady and Miss Annalee, who were both patronesses of the school. As to Ormond, whom she never had liked, she was glad of this opportunity of revenging herself upon his little protégé, and of making Ormond sensible that she was now a person of rather more consequence than she had been when he used formerly to defy her at Castle Hermitage. She little thought that while she was thus pursuing the dictates of her own hate, she might serve the interests of Ormond's love. End of chapter 23